Welcome to episode 14 of the Social and Sport Podcast. The Bundesliga has been back on our screens for a couple of weeks now and recently we heard about the return of Premier League uh, and La Liga. Yay! Sports is starting to get back to some kind of crowd-free normality. So we're starting to look ahead and not back as much in this week's episode as I talk to Tom Moxon about all things internationalisation and his tips from working at home. Tom is Business Development Director at Samba Digital, a long-time remote working agency who helped clubs and leagues to develop their global presence across LATAM, the US, Asia and beyond. Clients include PSG, Liverpool, Ligue 1 and the Bundesliga. There's some great examples to go through and we dig into the importance of understanding areas and cultures before leaping into a new strategy and what developing an international presence actually means. Isn't it just translating content for different accounts? Obviously the answer to that is no. If you enjoy this podcast, and do subscribe on your platform of choice. And of course, leave a rating and review. That would be fantastic. I'm trying to find as many great people as I can to share their stories during this time to both help and inspire as many people out there as I can. So every little helps. You can also find a video of this chat on YouTube and by following me on LinkedIn. Links to both are in the show notes. Okay, so here's my interview with Tom, recorded on Thursday, 28th of May, 2020. You've actually got one of the unique situations during this time that as an agency, you work remotely anyway. So, you know, a lot of us, like, for example, I'm working from home. All of us are at the moment, but that's the norm for you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's... uh... It's not really changed in terms of our day-to-day, that's for sure, apart from not being able to go outside after work, which is the uh, the usual plan. So, no, it's um, obviously from from our business perspective, we've always been a, a remote company, having people dotted all over the world, um, myself in the UK and guys everywhere else. So um, it's it's not been different. Um, I guess it's, I wouldn't say we've been pioneering it, but we're, we're certainly ahead of the curve in terms of being um, being used to remote working. I'm sure it's changed though in terms of how you work with the clients because the clients aren't going to be used to working from home. They're going to be used to being in the stadiums or near to the stadiums and their offices. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been interesting because I think uh, the initial sort of perspective was a lot of clubs, you know, moving away from their norm. It, you know, you could have the most senior execs at clubs who, who've never had to, to work in this way. Um, and a lot of our, you know, social guys and content guys that we work with at clubs, again, don't have that line of cons that's, Usually it's just someone sat next to you or in the next office or at the training ground. So, yeah, we've had people lean on us, which is which is quite nice because it's it's what we do and, and we can uh, we can work like this quite quite quickly. Um, but it's yeah, it's been a change. But the the fact that we've we've not really moved from our um, sort of day to day runnings means that we can kind of help out with additional creative social stuff and, and things that maybe would just need to be filled gaps for for clubs really. Hmm. what tips would you have how do you make it work for you working from home that other people might struggle with yeah, that's a golden question <laughs> yeah it's tough I mean people always talk about routine and, and how how to go about it in that way um it's 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 very simple to, to do things like outside of it you know get up get showered <laughs> walk the dog do things get it all out of the way so that you can kind of really get down and, and crack on with it um but tips wise it's you know we work across so many different time time zones that it's good to have a, a rough idea about how your day is going to be planned. Um, you know, it's probably lunchtime in the UK for me by the time that a lot of our colleagues in, in South America are up and about. So 
just what working around that as well is is quite important because at the end of the day we don't want to be working through the night or, or various other times so just aligning with other people's calendars is, is pretty important as well so a lot of our meetings are kind of early afternoon which means that we get a lot of admin stuff and, and client stuff done in the morning um just to try and yeah align with everyone really mm. obviously you know the main part of your job is kind of helping clubs and leagues with their kind of presence in international markets is that something you've seen grow, obviously, in the last few years? And has that been affected much by what's happened over the last couple of months? Yeah, I think your first point, firstly, yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of the international growth, it's seen uh, a big step up, which is obviously great for us and, and what we, we focus on from uh, you know growing people in, in localised markets outside of their native region. So that's been a, a really good, positive view. And people are going kind of that extra step. There's obviously your social media management and your website management and looking at different languages and territories, but there's also so much behind that, um, you know, complementing it, whether it's PR, whether it's on-site activations, um, whether it's, you know, commercial efforts um, from, from fan data all the way through to, to top tier partnerships. So it's certainly moved pretty fast over the last few years. And I think even some of the smaller properties now see the value in that, um, finding a bit of that market share, whether it's, for, for players in that particular market, whether it's for, for opportunities in commercial um, or whether it's because of, you know, big supporter groups and fan bases. So it's been, um, it's been really good for, for obviously from our side of view to, to help out as much as possible on that. Um, and the COVID situation, I think, is it's made it, I would say, it's almost slowed a few things down in terms of progression um, in those markets, but it's meant that people have to be a little cleverer about how they've gone about it. So, it, you know, we touched on creative and that's kind of one of the biggest things here is, is almost thinking outside the box and going back to a little bit more sort of the old school of using social um a lot more trial and error uh, a lot more thinking you know away from the pitch which is um you know the biggest the biggest challenge really is coming up with with ideas and options that work work for that side of things but in terms of international growth you know you've also you've also got um the, the likes of the us now where I would say naturally it's quite intrinsic in terms of there's such a broad spectrum over there. Um, so many people to target, so many people to reach out to, ticketing's a huge focus, merchandising, everything else. But now with the NBA, for example, the sponsors changing where they're allowed to international sponsors, these are steps that they're even they're making um, to, to find a bit of that market share internationally and, and push there. So it's um, it's definitely on the right path, and I think it's you know servicing. But first point is to service the fans, you know, internationally, which is which is great. Um, but there's so many things off the back of that that they can continue to do, which will have both growth and engagement, but also commercial value, which is um, often a, a nice keyword in there. Definitely, definitely. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it's so much. It's grown up so much, and you know, it used to be okay, you know, we need to do something in Portuguese or Arabic. So yeah. let's just start a Twitter account that translates exactly what we're doing in English to a, to a different language. And then obviously that's going to cater for all, the, all those fans, but it's, it's grown up a lot from that. 100%. Yeah. And I think that's for, for us, it's probably the, the, biggest, um, the biggest and first step really is, is understanding that putting out a Twitter account or, or any social platform um, in a different language is is going to be sufficient because it's not it's it's it really is um ensuring you have the kind of the, the full package and and for, from a social perspective the first thing really is to understand your audience you know um you know we've mentioned before obviously culture and, and understanding 
the actual local market so that you know the tone and voice the nuances you know if you're speaking to someone in spain it's completely different speaking to someone in argentina or mexico colombia peru you know there there needs to be an understanding of those separate markets so when you go into an idea of okay we we're going to target spanish language or we're going to target a territory territory there needs to be an understanding of, of actually what you're trying to achieve there it's very much the same with us in brazil and, and portugal those two markets are hugely different but they're in the same language so what we you know sort of always encourages having people embedded in these regions, understanding what the culture is um, and using that knowledge really to, to handpick the right kind of information. So you've obviously got that sliding scale between global content um, coming from a, from a rights holder um, and localized content. So there's a, a small portion of translated, I'd say, of global content um, and a large portion of actual local content that's maybe specified just for that market because it becomes relevant, um, which is certainly what we what we preach um, at Asamba. Yeah, and how important is that global growth? Especially kind of, you know, we, I suppose the European clubs have saturated English-speaking market, and then they're obviously looking to go elsewhere. But beyond kind of, you know, we want to engage with these fans because they like football. Yeah. Now, especially, I imagine coming out the back of this, it's going to be, you know, okay, what's the ROI of doing this? What, yeah, can, what think- can they do? How do they go about doing that? It's certainly on a case by case basis because um, we've got we've got rights holders that we work with who go in with an extremely clear vision. This is the the commercial value that we want to create from going into this market. Um, it's got that kind of partnerships lead with a social and digital drive. So it's kind of pulling the two together with the end view to to really actually um, take a big part, portion of this market share in an international market and come away with it with. With strong um, with strong turnover, to be completely honest, and then we've got others who are um, complete kind of you know global clubs, global leagues, all sorts of other um, rights holders who who go into it with a with with no commercial hat on whatsoever, and it's it's a it's a market share, it's a fan engagement, it's servicing the fans first, and there's there's no right or wrong between the two, um, but they're two very different approaches, um, and we need to when we go into it from a strategic point of view, we need to understand what what kind of avenue they're taking um because you know from a fan engagement perspective it's it's around metrics it's around growth on social um it's around understanding the audience and actually what they want to what they want to know um you know we've got brazilian market if you're taking an english club for example and you're looking at the brazilian market um they're not going to want to know or, or or will understand all the ins and outs of the club, um, you know, all the history, everything else going on. A lot of the time, it's far more sort of driven by what's going on on the field, by their stars, by the interest of Brazilian players. And it's just find, finding that balance because, um, you know, you can translate every single thing on a, on a global, uh, global account on social media. But ultimately, are they really getting any value out of it if it's talking about ticketing, it's, if it's driving you know uh, driving yourself driving you to a website that's not in english um you know anything like this it's it, there's so many things that you put out on global and you look at it and think actually is that going to service an international market and the answer almost always is is no on on a, on a big scale um so it's handpicking that that kind of relevant information that's that's really key to to what we're doing and how do you get the kind of investments and the kind of you know the, what actually needs to go into it you know you might have someone who comes into it and thinks oh it's just kind of literally we just need a translation service rather than kind of actually you need, need to understand the local culture as you say you need to um be fully vested into it to actually get what you want to get out of it yeah i mean if i knew the answer to that i think that's <laughs> which would be great <laughs> um that's i think that's really challenge number one is it's just 
uh, almost adapting uh, people's mindset really um, because like I said you, you can go into it and say look we want to grow globally let's take on seven languages and then basically hit every market in the world um, which some people fortunately can do which is great um, but the I'd say the challenge really is just to, to understand there's kind of a full a full sphere to it. You can't just tap into social or just tap into website or just tap into activations or PR. It's about pulling those all together. So the ones that, for, for, from what we see, the ones who actually get the most out of a particular market internationally are the ones that obviously, um, you know, do spend on it, but they spend on it strategically. So it's about finding that balance. So whether that's a social and web, if you kind of bracket social and web as, as one um, in an international language, that is serviced properly for that market. So understanding the tone of voice, um, but also then activation. So actually being on site in different regions, um, a lot of branded content, getting the club or, or, or league out there, um, which is super positive, and then using PR to actually service those two. So that's kind of been the latest step for us really is to look at PR as not sort of a standalone situation. Obviously, you've got your crisis comms and various other things, CSR, but actually using PR efficiently can really build and drive the brand um, from a social and digital perspective. So it's kind of coming full circle with those sort of three three key things. And then the outcome is obviously your, your social engagement metrics or your commercial, um, you, what you've created commercially. So it's kind of those two brackets. And if you do it right, you can get both, which is which is always great. Um, but some have a greater focus on others. So it's just about really coming full circle on, on all of those um, opportunities to actually get the most out of the market. Yeah. And how much of that is driven by the players or drivers, depending on what sport it is and where they're from? You know, the yeah. Man City, for example, with Gabriel Jesus, obviously there's a Brazilian focus in there. For sure. Yeah, it's... If I'm honest, what we try to do is... is obviously lean on players that are there if you're working with a club we, we always want to lean on um the assets that the club has because it would be crazy not to um but at the same time it's it's definitely about finding that balance if someone's got two brazilian players and they leave two years later if we've spent two years on a social and, uh, and website and various other things to grow in that market if that person leaves have we done enough to keep hold of that of that interest or are they just following the player and it's about trying to work out what kind of fans we're picking up along the way whether they're casual diehard second team clubs you know a lot of for example a lot of South Americans will be second team clubs they've got a team they follow in Europe and they've got a team at home and it's about sort of driving all of those um, relevant people to get there so I think players are obviously a key asset but I wouldn't say we want to drive um, our content around that purely because it's about understanding other ideas and opportunities. And I think, you know, you see nowadays um, people using things like esports to identify different markets, which is a really clever way to uh, to look at that. So whether you're, a, you know, you could be a French club with a with a Brazilian esports player under your, under your name. So um, there's there's various things now that you can do that are just beyond um, players on on the field. And I think that's that's what we we want to try and do. So understanding the culture and, and the local the local market is is key to to using that. And then any any bonus um, really is on that. So you know, we over in the US we work with um, with Orlando Magic in the NBA. Um, these guys have got no uh, huge link to, to Brazil in terms of players. There's a couple of past um, past guys in terms of names, ambassadors, but no players at the moment that speak Portuguese. Um, they've gone into this market, as I said, with, with a commercial mindset. Um, 
and this is a, a clear example. You know, they they drive tourism from Brazil to Orlando. There's there's that kind of link there. So tourism was sort of number one, which gives them the view for that sort of smaller ticketing opportunity for unique experiences and various other things um, to, to drive in that market. But they're doing amazing things, and, and it's been absolute pleasure working with them on these accounts in in um, in Portuguese for Brazil without any great affinity on the pitch. So they're certainly picking up casual fans, second um, secondary fans and things like that, which is which has been really positive and, and proves that it's not purely a um, player-driven asset. No, and I was just about to ask about, you know, especially Brazil, you know, what the curiosity is with it. Obviously, Orlando, they've got a kind of defined thing about around tourism with that. But if you're a football club in, in Europe, for example, yeah. Or or a league or Formula One or you know Formula One's probably a little bit different with the Brazilian Grand Prix, um, but why would you target a country such as Brazil? What would be in it for you beyond let's boost our numbers? Yeah, I think you could even broaden it out beyond beyond Brazil. Uh, looking at your kind of like your Spanish markets in in Latin as well, um, Mexico as I said, Argentina, um, Peru, Colombia, these kind of places. The, the first thing is it's a good question because actually if you look at um, as I said, from a financial standpoint, your commercial returns are probably not what you'd see for some of your bigger uh, sort of Western world markets. If you're looking at the US, if you're looking at Asia and various other places, you probably have the opportunity for greater um, partnerships in terms of value um, driven. But that being said, the first thing is you've got diehard fans, like fans that absolutely love sport, regardless of what the sport is. Um, they they want to be watching it and consuming it across social. And it's a massive driver on that. So it's very nice way to, to, to be loved as, as a club or, or as a league because you know that this is a market that's going to be interested in you um, and talking from a metrics perspective as well which is um, sort of less, like, slightly less exciting but you know the CPAs and things like that are a lot lower in LATAM um, so you know effective paid media boosting and, and understanding how to use a strategy for, the, for a market like that is really effective because um, you can actually um, pick up a lot, a lot along the way um, for a lot less than than what you do for for some of the uh, the US, European markets, and, and Asia, which would cost um, significantly more. So obviously, a lot of uh, a lot of the platforms nowadays, um, well, some of them anyway, are, are becoming a lot more challenging for organic growth, and, and paid strategies are, are super super important, um, and that's certainly a, a part of the world that's um, it's a strong return really um, for, for that for that point of view. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things I'm curious with Brazil, especially, um, is it you kind know, of it's such a hotbed for the social platforms for their testing, and it seems to be a kind of you know a, a meter test for what can happen in the rest of the world, whether something's going to take off. And one kind of platform that I did want to touch on was the joys of TikTok, which we're all kind of just getting into, and is really? the most downloaded app, full stop, over this period, yeah. um, and one that you guys have been doing quite a bit of work in as well. What are clubs doing on it? Why are they on it in the first place? Yeah, it's it's still um, definitely working its way into the sports world. I don't think I think we're a little bit behind the curve as always with a lot of things, but we're certainly not there yet. Um, and there's a lot more people can do on there because you know it, it's very clear how how big this platform is going, and it, it seems like it's not gonna it's not gonna go anywhere soon. So. Um, it's definitely a you know an investable option, and we've been fortunate to take it on pretty early. Um, you know, it's been going for a long, long time, and actually, we've probably been on it only eight or nine months um, with, with clients. So, it, even still, we're sort of almost seen as, as early adopters on that, um, which has been really useful in terms of being able to share our insights and ideas about what works on the platform, understanding the trends, algorithms, um, and various other things on there. But it's certainly gone 
sort of back, I'd say back to the old school in, in terms of, you know, there's so much trial and error and testing and it, it, just enjoyment on it. I think, you know, there's so many things that you, you view Twitter and other platforms nowadays and there's some amazing sort of uses of, of them. Um, but it almost does feel even a little bit more serious now. There's a lot of, uh, you know, with our clubs during this time, there's fun, but then there's also your kind of messaging, that's uh, your health messaging and everything else that people look to for, you know, they look at clubs nowadays to have a lot of answers regardless of, of being in mm. one sport or not. Whereas with TikTok, you've got that kind of enjoyment factor of, of really testing new ideas and uh, getting creative with video as well, which is, which is, you know, awesome fun and something we've been able to do. So some of our clients, uh, we work with league one, which is, which is great. Um, we've, we've managed to grow that account in just, uh, what are we now just over seven months and we've got well over a million followers, which has been amazing. So they're the biggest property in, in France at the moment on, on TikTok for within the sports market, which is, um, which is a huge, um, you know, result for us as in terms of our efforts being put into that market. Um, so, you know, overall it's, um, it's really good, but our creative team have worked super hard. You know, we're dipping into archival footage from a lot of a lot of clients, especially during this time when there's not things going on. Uh, and it, you can experiment, you know, with this kind of content, which is, um, you know, not not really the case with with other platforms nowadays to that extent. So it's um, it's been a really fun project, and, and obviously, I think it's going to be something we'll do a lot more of uh, going forward. And the things that work don't work, because I remember reading one of, or seeing one of the vast number of webinars. And it's, you know, the investment they'll put something in the, into TikTok, they think, oh, this is going to explode. This is going to be massive. Goes flat. And one that's been sat there for a long time that thought, that's not going to work. Put out, bang, suddenly it's got millions of views. Yeah. Is it, is, it, is it that way in the fact that you can't quite tell what's going to happen or is there any kind of thing that is more likely to work than not? Yeah, I think you'd have to go ask my content guys specifically <laughs> to, to get the real answer of, of what exactly works because they've definitely got a few things up their sleeve and they do follow the trends. There are, you know, there are clear things that go on on the platform that you want to follow and, and test out. Um, and I think we, what the kind of approach we try to take is is just about quality over quantity in terms of tipping the tipping the scales because you could fire out a ton of content and something is going to stick but it's just about finding that balance. So we would rather spend a bit of time on, on a piece, um, at least knowing that the quality is there and then hoping that it will, uh, hoping will it take off rather than, than banging out as much as possible. But as I said before, it, there really is that trial and error piece and it's understanding before you post something, whether you, you know, whether you're confident it will get out there, but the, I don't think there's also no shame in, in things that don't stick. It, it's, it's a, it's a nice platform in that in that case that you know you can get straight back at it, put something else back out there, and suddenly you know it blows up and yeah. well well beyond metrics that you can find sometimes on, on other platforms. It, it really is you know viewership and, and engagement is is crazy on there, um, and still you know something a lot of us are getting used to. Yeah, it's almost one of those that almost goes under the under the radar a little bit, especially higher up in organisations because it's kind yeah. of like you know, and but at some stage they're probably going to go okay, we're doing this TikTok thing, we've got all this thing, right? How are we going to monetize this? Totally, yeah, totally. And, <laughs> and you don't always see, you know, you think about metrics as well. People have such a focus on on social metrics and what people are doing on those uh, on your sort of traditional platforms nowadays, if you like, um, and they come through weekly, monthly. People within companies, their pure job is, is obviously take a, take note of this, and I think that still. Uh, we're still at the point with TikTok where people aren't doing that because they're not, it's not become that serious yet into their minds that this is, you know, a huge engagement platform and analytics tools and various other things, I'm sure are fully up to speed on the platform. Um, but it's about driving that now into our overall metrics for, for clubs that we, or, or rights holders generally that we run. 
that we run these accounts on because uh, it will certainly boost numbers in terms of uh, in terms of engagement and follower numbers. Cool. I just wanted to finish off just by kind of having a look at back on the international audiences. Are there any kind of easy tips or advice that you give to people who are thinking about kind of growing international audiences and where to start doing so? Yeah, I think that the first thing is to, I would say, to think about what, what your assets are as a company and what you, uh, or, you know, as a property and what you're trying to get out of it. Um, as I said before, the, the commercial fee um, sort of fan engagement growth is, is something that we, that we look at and trying to find that balance, you know, um, the smaller properties, it will obviously be more challenging, but absolutely there is still a you know a piece of the pie out there and, and commercially there's an opportunity. So I'd work out what the assets are, whether they are um, sort of partnerships driven, whether they are um, on-field driven or what have you. Um, and then also don't be afraid to explore, potentially explore markets that may not um, be kind of the go-to for a lot of other properties. You know, we're, we're seeing... Uh, so the Middle East, North Africa, um, the French-speaking markets, these are markets that traditionally in football, for example, they've not been hugely serviced by your top teams. But nowadays, people are looking at it and starting to dip into those regions. So it's something that we've taken uh, you know, a big view on um, and are keeping our a sort of close eye on, on those regions. So I would say I wouldn't be, you know, don't be afraid to um, sort of go rogue, if you like, in terms of going away from you know, where your competitors are, because ultimately you've got that opportunity to grow an affinity with pretty much any market globally. It's just about going about it the right way. So yeah, don't be afraid with that. And then obviously um, using your assets is for, for me would be to, rather than to try and scan the world, is to try and um, pick out you know, a particular market and, and sort of really focus on that and use, as I said before, multiple points of, um, of servicing rather than just having a, a web strategy in multiple languages to target the world. Cool. On that note, thank you very much, Tom. Insightful and pleasure talking to you as always. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me, Dan.